Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the Old Testament reading from Joshua chapter 3, particularly verse 7, where the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I, as I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So far our text. On the banks of the Jordan River, a people stood on the precipice of being exalted by God, of receiving the promise of a lifetime. In fact, the promise of several lifetimes. The promise had been handed down for generations. The promise given originally to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. It had been about seven centuries since God made the promise. Now it was beginning to be fulfilled. What does it mean to be exalted by God? To exalt is to make great. Most of the time in the Bible, man is exalting God as his creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. At other times, like with Joshua, God promises to exalt people taking the lowly and humble and making them great in the eyes of their neighbor. God has the great habit of exalting the humble and lowly. As we heard from our epistle reading this morning where St. Paul reminded the Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God took the lowly Corinthians and exalted them into a congregation. But this is not the first time God has done this. Not more than a month before our text, Moses gives his farewell address in the plains of Moab. He reminds the children of Israel of their exaltation by God. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Israel was the fewest of all people when they were exalted. How few were they? Two. When Israel was exalted in God's eyes, it was only Abram and Sarai. Beginning with these two, and these two as good as dead, God exalted the people of Israel to become a great nation and a blessing for all the families of the earth. From two, he made them as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This exaltation began as Israel multiplied in Egypt, growing from the seventy that came when Jacob moved into Goshen until he reached approximately the two million that crossed the Red Sea. Through the parting of the Red Sea, God exalted the Israelites in the eyes of the Egyptians. Throughout their wandering in the wilderness, God exalted them in the eyes of the surrounding nations who were all filled with dread at their approach. Through Israel's exaltation, God exalted Moses to lead them out of Egypt. 
And he was a great man, respected by the Israelites, even when they were murmuring and complaining about him. But they knew that God was with him and had made him great. But God made Moses great through the plagues in Egypt. Moses performed great signs and wonders in the wilderness. What was Joshua's exaltation going to look like? Joshua had been Moses' right-hand man from the very first battle from Amalek. He was with Moses on Mount Sinai when he received the covenant. He was one of the spies sent into the promised land, one of only two who gave a faithful report of God's ability to fulfill his promise to conquer the larger nations. He was full of the spirit of wisdom. But even with this important position, even with all these great descriptors, God still says, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. That day Israel would cross the Jordan River to begin the process of conquering the land of Canaan. And God was going before them as he has promised. And he was doing this through the Ark of the Covenant standing in the middle of the Jordan. The mercy seat upon which God ruled his people in their midst stood in the midst of the water to show that he was with them. The waters coming from the north stood up in a heap so the people could cross on dry ground, just as the parents had done at the Red Sea. So God has brought his Israel into joy from sadness. But Joshua's exaltation in Israel's eyes would be in ordinary, everyday ways, not supernatural ones like Moses. He would follow Moses' example as a faithful prophet and leader for the people. He would be seen as the general, the commander-in-chief of Israel's armies. His ability to organize the battle lines and administer his governmental responsibilities would not be done through signs and wonders. They would be done through the ordinary, everyday gifts that God had blessed him with. Okay, now while this is all well and good for history lesson, but we're celebrating the baptism of our Lord, what does this exaltation business have to do with Jesus, other than all of it happening at the Jordan River? Well, everything, especially for you. 1,400 years after Israel crossed the Jordan River, God stood on the banks of the Jordan River, on the precipice of exalting his people. Just as the ark preceded the Israelites into the Jordan River, Jesus preceded us into the waters of baptism. The baptism rite in our hymnal shows this clearly in what's known as the flood prayer. Through the baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. Through this blessed flood and lavish washing, you have been exalted. But like Joshua, the exaltation expressed in everyday, ordinary means, because it's simply water poured on you, but you're still exalted in the eyes of the world and the Lord. Because your baptism is just the beginning of the ordinary becoming extraordinary. Jesus shows this to John as he steps into the Jordan to receive John's baptism of repentance. Jesus had no sins to repent of. John points this out in his objection. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? 
Jesus replies, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Through his footsteps into the Jordan, through his standing in the middle of the river, Jesus changes the course of human history. He fulfills all righteousness through his baptism, a baptism of repentance. But not his repentance, your repentance. The major difference between the Ark of the Covenant coming into the Jordan and Jesus entering the Jordan is that Jesus doesn't cause the waters to stop flowing. In fact, he causes it to overflow so that he might exalt you and I. To make us great by giving us the forgiveness of sins. By making all water a way and a vessel for him to give the fulfillment, the, the forgiveness of sins. To open the gates of heaven. To have the Father's words spoken at his baptism transferred to you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. In the waters of the font, again, plain, ordinary, everyday water, God spoke those words over you. He exalted you from his enemy to his beloved child. What greater joy can there be? Through baptism, God has brought you into joy from sadness. The extraordinary gift of forgiveness given through such ordinary means. But as we see from history, God's joy and favor doesn't always last. Israel's exaltation ended when God sent them away into exile. The sadness of the wilderness wanderings was replaced by the joy of finally getting into the promised land as they crossed the Jordan River. But the joy of the promised land was turned into sadness of exile through their continued disobedience. God sent prophet after prophet to remind them of the exaltation that they were taking for granted. But they would not listen. So their exaltation ended. Their promised land was invaded and destroyed. Everything they held dear was cleared away with a swipe of God's hand. But we have a greater promise from God. Our exaltation never ends. Like Abraham, Sarah, Enoch, and the rest of the saints, we have acknowledged that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Like Israel, we have the promise of an inheritance. But this inheritance is greater than any earthly kingdom. It is a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared for us a city where our citizenship through baptism is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. In that heavenly city, we will stand before Jesus and God the Father, exalted from our mortal flesh, being transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Just as quick as the change was from enemy to beloved child in your baptism. We will stand there because Jesus has led the way. As the Ark of the Covenant led Israel into the promised land, Jesus' resurrection and ascension lead us into heaven. There we will sit at table with all the saints at the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end. Since His kingdom has no end, since His marriage feast has no end, our exaltation will have no end. 
This is why we come together as church. This is why we celebrate the baptism of our Lord and our own baptism. This is why we can be confident in our Lord's blessing. Because this is not the promise of a lifetime or several lifetimes. This is the promise of everlasting life. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.